you to jump in your Bibles just for a minute. I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Then I want to turn on to a video. I want to hit the devil right in the nose today. We are talking about a kingdom culture initiative. God wants us to be not, in, in order for us to affect our culture, we have to be living in a far more supreme, more powerful culture because light overcomes darkness, doesn't it? And so in order for us to affect the lives around us, it needs to be living in us. Everyone say, in us. See, if it's not in you, it won't flow out of you. And so Jesus wants that kingdom to be in us. Amen? But I want you to read, what, read a passage. It says in verse chapter 5, Galatians 5, 16, Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires or lusts of the flesh. For the flesh has its own desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and those they are contrary one to another. Everyone say war. There's a war between my spirit and my flesh, isn't there? And we're not talking about physical, our physical body. When the Bible refers to the flesh, it's not referring to your body. God loves your body, by the way. In fact, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when he's referring to the flesh, folks, he's referring to that desire or those uh, attitudes or those things that are in my soul that war against the will of God. There's actions, there's thoughts, there's memories, there's dreams, there's fears, there's inhibitions, there's sin. It's not my physical body, but when the Apostle Paul refers to these, this flesh at wars, it's, it's at war against my spirit, man. He says, but if you are led by the spirit, then you are not under the law. What that means is, is that I'm not under the rules and regulations of the law because I'm now walking in the spirit of, here it is, the key word is love. How many of you know that you are far more able to do a whole lot of things that you can't do in your own strength when it's motivated by love? Amen? Anytime an athlete goes to win the prize, he will fight through the pain because he loves what he's doing. When love is involved, then you're no longer under the law. You're no, no longer under the rule of law because there's love. Now, he says the works of the flesh are evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, which is another word, Greek word for pharmakia, which means drugs, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, like of which I've told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law or rule or regulation because love is operating. And he says, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk. Everyone say walk. Now, I want to talk to you about our walk today, what it means to walk in the Spirit. How many here have ever run into someone that said this? Don't raise your hand. It might be you. I don't know. But don't raise your hand on this question. How many have ever said this? You know, Pastor Ray, it's just too hard to serve the Lord. Oh, it's so hard to serve God. Now, I don't condemn anybody for saying that in any way, shape, or form. But the problem is they haven't met Jesus yet. Once you met Jesus, you become a follower of Jesus. Guess what? The sacrifice is no longer a sacrifice because you begin to find that it's love that draws you. I'm drawn by the love of God. The love of God is what makes all the stuff go through worth it. But if my view of God is very narrow, then the problem becomes huge. And then I begin to wear out. And then I begin to wear thin and I get tired. I grow weary in well-doing. So I need to grow in my knowledge of Jesus. I need to grow in the knowledge of His glory. Can you imagine being one of the disciples who died 
They gave their life. They were even crucified. Some of them were beheaded. Some of them were crucified upside down. What gave them that kind of ability and grace to do that? It had to be the knowledge of who Jesus is. And so one of the things this morning as we begin to develop a Jesus culture, we want to develop an understanding of who Jesus is, how good he is, how worthy he is worth following, even if I lose everything. Job said this, if the Lord shall slay me, yet will I serve him. And so the, one of the things we want to do is develop a culture where people really truly fall in love with Jesus. How, how many here have ever fallen in love with Jesus? You love Jesus? Now, I know there's different degrees and stages in our walk and relationship, but he wants us to love him. And when we begin to love him, I, I remember when I fell in love with my wife, Carol, way back in my college days. Do you know the first thing that happened? I could not even, I was in college, and I could not even do my homework. When it came to test time, I flunked every test because I was in love. I blamed my wife for me failing. But here's the thing. When you're in love, it begins to consume your life. It consumes your mind. You know, I wanted to buy her flowers, chocolates. I wanted to take her to the finest restaurants. I wanted to show her my brand-new 1974 Z28 Camaro. Oh, I wanted her to ride in. I wanted her to be the first date in my car because I love the girl. I remember one time she didn't get off work till 1230 at night. And you know what? I'm a kind of guy. I'm, a, I'm always a quite, kind of a different kind of a teenager. But I didn't stay up late. I had to go to bed early. But yes, guess what? When she told me she didn't get off of work till 1230 at night, I stayed up. It was worth seeing her for just 15 minutes because she had to go home because her dad said, I want you home right away. Guess what? I saw her for 15 minutes and she jetted but it was worth waiting four hours. Why? Because I liked her. It's amazing when you fall in love with people how it changes your dynamic, changes your agenda. It begins to, things begin to fit. So, so it's not about harping on people because they're not doing what God's Word said. The, the real question is, is how much do you know Him? Because to the degree you know Him, the degree you love Him, and to the degree you love him, the degree you're willing to follow him wherever he goes. Amen? But I want to show you a problem right now. There's a problem in our society, and it's about addiction. It's about issues right now. I want to show you this video clip of a young man who grew up in a church and how we can not just in this problem but in other issues, how we can win. How many of you believe we're more than conquerors in Christ? I'm going to show you that this morning we can hit that. Is it not going to work? Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's break the coffee out and just talk to your neighbors. And How are you doing this afternoon? And Let me introduce myself to you. Uh, it's not going to work? Okay. Okay, not going to work, not going to work. Awesome clip. Let me, let me start out by saying something. Um, several years ago, I was a carpenter, a co contractor, a builder. And uh, contractors, builders always wear aprons. How many have ever seen, I'm not talking about an apron you serve food in. This is an apron where you have your tools, your tape measure, your square, your hammer, and... Uh, uh, I just got married to my wife, and we were, I didn't really have a trade out of Bible school, and I started working for my dad, who was teaching me how to be a con carpenter. And uh, I had no knowledge. One of the most important tools in your belt is a hammer. How many here know what a hammer is? Okay, how many here can actually use a hammer? Uh, well, I couldn't use a hammer. I couldn't hit the broad side of a barn with one. I mean, I couldn't. I knew how to use the claw. Uh, it's, it's kind of a two-in-one kind of a tool. But I just could not hit. I mean, my dad taught me, he said, Ray, hold this 16-inch sinker, and I'd hit it. And I'll tell you, this left thumb has gone more, through more damage control. I've hit this thumb so many times, had bruises, and it's, 
actually even bigger than my right hand. But I really beat this poor little fella down to nothing but uh, because I didn't know how to use the hammer. But finally, I got the hang of it. Good morning. And I was so proud that I could actually swing a hammer. In fact, at lunchtime and break time, you know what we, we, we would do? We would actually have competitions on how many swings it took to drive a 16-inch or 16-penny nail into a wood. And I got down to where I could tap it, bang it, and slam it all the way into the wood. I was good. I was really good. But no, but there was what my dad hit it, tap it, and bang it all the way in. So he, he was a lot better, another guy a lot better than me too. But then I got so used to the hammer, and then technology comes along, and guess what? The hammer down. The nail gun, the, the, the net Bostitch comes out, and Senko, and these other manufacturers, and they begin to introduce this. Salesmen were coming out to our job sites, and they were introducing these nail guns. <clears throat> and most of the response and reaction was negative in the beginning. You got it? Okay, David's got it, but it, you got to finish the testimony first. But here's what happened. When we started uh, looking at it, we rejected it, first of all, because we didn't know it. And, the, and, and we begin to argue in our minds, you know what? Not, nothing puts a nail in the wood like a good swing. Nobody can put a nail in there like a good piece of muscle and bicep. And the only problem is, after about a year, I started getting tendonitis, and my elbows were having problems, and I was in my mid-20s at the time, and because we were building houses and remodeling, and I was, I mean, all day, eight hours a day, I'm using my, my right arm. And we're, we are building. Finally, there was a man by the name of Sal. His real name was Salamander. He was a Hispanic gentleman, excellent carpenter. He comes with this pneumatic nail gun. And my dad and Pat and myself, and he says, he says to my dad, his name is Ray Sr., by the way, my dad. Said, he said, Ray, let me, let me show you how the nail gun works. And my dad was kind of a happy. He said, we, we, we don't need those nail guns. We, we work like real men. We work with our arms, <clears throat> and we can draw. We don't need some little crazy little pneumatic plastic nail gun. All of a sudden... We started a race. We were building. We were laying out these walls, and we started building these walls. And Sal beat us by 75%. He went bang, 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 bang. And we're still sitting, bump, 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 bump. But he's going bang, 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 bang. We were impressed. Now, why did I give you that illustration? is because the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes you from what you do in your own strength to what God can do so supernaturally. In fact, everyone say light speed. How many of you know the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes you into light speed? You begin to do things that are beyond natural ability. And when we begin to talk about kingdom culture, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because it gives us the key word, power. Everyone say power. You see, how many of you would like to stop wearing yourself out and let the whole spirit involves power? But we need to understand how that power works. But are we ready for that now, Dave? Or are we ready? Okay. I want you to see this powerful testimony, authenticity, closure here. My dad was a pastor, um, went, to, went to church three times a week, became a leader in my youth group, um, was leading worship, leading small groups, would talk about freedom, but I was truly never free because I was living a double life. Because in fourth grade, 10 years old, all the kids around me were talking about sex, and I did what was natural, I Googled it. And it wasn't my first time seeing pornography, the first time I saw it was in kindergarten, but it was the first time in my life that it produced gratification. 
And it led to years and years and years of a misled gratification in my life. Talked about it through high school with friends. Talked about it through college. In high school, we thought, okay, what do you need to do? You need to confess it. You need to develop accountability, and Christ will take it away. So we'd confess it. we develop accountability. Never took it away. I went off to college thinking that this new Christian environment would take me out of my addiction. And I learned so quickly that it wasn't the environment feeding it, but it was an addiction deep within my soul. It tried for years and years, a total of eight years to get out with confession and accountability. It never worked. And it came up to my junior year, Thanksgiving time, and my little sister and my parents and I are sitting around talking about conflict in the past because pornography had withdrew me from the family. It kills intimacy. It kills your relationships with people around you. And my little sister began to tell me her story. And she has kidney disease. It's called nephrolic syndrome, where her kidneys, they don't function or filter correctly. So she was put on some hefty, hefty steroids in high school. And I'm off at college during this time, not seeing this happen. And she began to tell me her story where the steroids had so, such side effects on her life that she wanted to commit suicide. And she said, Austin... When I wanted to commit suicide, I looked at your life. I looked at the potential you had, and I didn't commit suicide because I didn't want it to affect you. And it broke me. Because at that point, I had lost hope. And I didn't understand how when I cared so little about myself that someone would care for me that much that they would save their own life for me. And at that moment, my parents thought we had a breakthrough because it truly broke me. But truly, it led to about two and a half months of a deep depression in my life because I had completely lost hope. I tried for eight years to get out of porn, and it never worked. And it came up to March 28th of last year, where I woke up one morning to text from friends, from family, after withdrawing completely, saying, what's going on? We love you. We care about you. Why aren't you reaching out? At that moment, I realized that this addiction in my life is not just affecting me. It's affecting the people around me, and it gave me the motivation to change. And so I named it that morning, I claimed it, and I called home. And it started a process in my life of three things. Number one, repentance. And you can't truly repent until you see your sin as God sees your sin. And that starts with an education. An education on porn, what it does to your brain, what it does to your emotions, what it does to the people around you. An education on the holiness of God, His divine view of sexuality, and how pornography is a counterfeit to that sexuality. Second, accountability. Now, the church today sees accountability as sitting around once a week, a bunch of guys or girls for breakfast, asking four hard questions and walking away. That is not accountability. Accountability is committing to a life of openness and vulnerability with the people around you and walking hand in hand until you're out. And not just talking about the symptom pornography, but talking about the wound of pornography. And that leads to the third thing, counseling. Because I tried for years to get out, and nothing ever worked until I went to counseling. Because pornography is not your problem. Pornography is your medication. It's a medication for a deeper wound or a lacking in your life that you go to because that's how you're reaching out. That's how you're reaching out for satisfaction. So it's been over a year of finding freedom. But am I truly free? I'd say no. Because I don't think people realize that my generation was raised on this stuff. We watched it through all these fundamental years. It affects the way we think. It affects our emotions. But the process is so worth it. Thank you. Amen. How many of you believe the gospel needs to hit every area of our life? Well, that's awful quiet there. You know what, folks? I am done preaching a gospel that just goes through us. The gospel needs to change us. And it needs, whether it's pornography, whether it's addiction, whether it's anger, whether it's any issue, God wants the crap out of our lives. We are just right now finishing an amazing Conqueror series, and I'm so proud of these guys. They've come through. They're coming through flying colors, and you know what? We're breaking free. How many of you believe the devil hates it when people get free? You see, we're, we're not just talking about some light little mamsy-pamsy stuff. God wants you free. And I'm speaking right now by the Holy Spirit. He wants you free. And there's freedom. But I want to say this. Freedom is not free. There's a price to pay. 
It's not based on condemnation. It's not based on just rules. <clears throat> parents, I would advise and I would challenge parents to look at your children's cell phones. And if they do not have a filter, I guarantee you, your kids are on porn. Within one day of a child or a young person having a cell phone, they will have run across a porn site. And if that doesn't bother you, that doesn't bother you, something's wrong. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. i got to say some amens up here for myself. By the way, I'm not looking for your accolades. But you know what? I am so tired of Satan taking advantage of our young people. Does that bother you? Does it concern you? Well, yeah, but pastor, what can we do? It's just everywhere and everywhere around us. No, this is where the fight of faith begins. It's where the walk begins. I have absolutely no anointing, no power. There is no, Satan laughs. He mocks us. Satan mocks us when we flirt in the closet with our sin. Then we come out front and rage. He mocks us. Well, what about you, Pastor Ray? You fell. That's right, I did. And I disclosed it. Because I want nothing hidden. I want nothing hidden. Does anybody out there? By the way, there's other churches that will preach a message of grace and mercy and just, just come as you are and be what you want. And God just forgives and forgets. That's a toxic gospel. God gives you mercy and he gives you grace so you will not stay the way you are. He did not die just to forgive your sin. He died so that you would... I'm a new creature in Christ in the image and the likeness of his righteousness. And the devil wants the church to go to sleep and to accept the lie that I'm just addicted. I just got a bad habit. Now, hey, man, it's not, at least I'm not and as a rapist. I have my little porn, my drugs, or my alcoholic problem on the side, and I'm medicating myself. But it's hindering the Holy Spirit, and it will affect the generations to follow. It will affect. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I want to tell you something. Love hates sin. All right, I want you to jump with me to Ephesians. Ephesians, just for a few minutes here. Ephesians chapter 4, if you can. Ephesians. I want you to see what the Bible says. For this reason, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, in that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened. What's the purpose of his glory? To everyone say strengthen. God's glory was not just to be felt or observed or just enjoyed. God's glory is to strengthen with might through his spirit where? In the, everyone say it with me, the inner man. What is the inner man? The inner man is my spirit man. The inner man is the area of my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions. You see, there are strongholds in my inner man. Several years ago, I want to share this testimony. I had surgery on my back, back in 2000. I've never done drugs, illicit drugs. I don't drink. I can't stand the taste of it. I'm not putting anybody down if you drink socially. If that's your, I just can't stand But anyway, I, I came out of surgery... And my doctor said, because it was a major surgery, two titanium plugs in my back because of years of construction and this and that. But I, 
I remember coming out of surgery, and for two and a half months, I was on heavy, heavy drugs. My doctor said this, but it kind of went over my head at the time because I, I never knew this would happen. But I became addicted to this kind of painkiller drug. I became addicted to it. And over the months, my surgery was healing and doing very well. But I began to find myself doing something I never thought. I was pastoring this church, by the way. To me, disclosure is, by the way, do you know what the purpose of disclosure is? Is to destroy the powers of Satan so there can be no accusation anymore. People who hide their sin are living in a lie. So I'm not afraid of my past anymore. Because I know that when I come out, you're going to come out and you're going to get free. There is no room for condemnation. But I remember when I came in oh, several, three, four, five months, and I was healing and I was doing well, but I found my mind beginning to play a trick on me. My own mind. I'm a Bible-reading, Bible-preaching, believing God, preaching a victory and breakthrough for other people. But I begin to embrace a lie. And what my lie was this, is that I found I had a doctor who was a, who was a, uh, uh, a surgeon, a particular kind of surgeon. I forgot the kind of surgeon. It was back surgery, but I can't remember what it was. But anyway, he kept calling me up and said, Ray, do you need more medication? And I said, sure, send me more. I need more. Well, I come to find out that I started looking for little twinges of pain so I would justify him sending me more. Yeah, send me more. I need more. I I got a pain. I started looking for pain. You know why? Because it felt so good. Don't look at me like you just had never been there. It was feelings. How many of you know drugs make you feel so good? I was feeling so good, man. I mean, I'll tell you, about a six-hour high. Whoa, I could do anything. Thank you, Jesus. But I was living a lie. You, Pastor Ray? Yeah, Pastor Ray was living a lie. Then my wife came into my office one day. She looks at my face. She says, Ray, are you on some pills? You know what I said? No, no, no. I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. And she leaves. And right there, the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit comes when you're... The Holy Spirit floods my spirit and said, You did not lie to your wife. You lied to me. I'm serious. And I remember taking my pills. I took them to Carol. And I said, Carol, I got a problem. She says, I know. I just wonder how long you'd be living the lie. Boy, that's hard when your wife says that. And your wife knows, but she says, I've been praying for you, Ray. But I wonder how long it would take for you to stop the lie. I put it in her hands and I said, and she says, you don't need this anymore. And then you know what she asked me to do? Let's go to the toilet. And I said, why? You're going to dump them down the toilet. And you know what I said? Oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. Then you're, not, then you're not interested in them being free, are you, Ray? Whoa, 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 whoa. Now, wait a minute. Let, let, let's don't get that drastic. Isn't it amazing how we make excuses? And so we finally 
made, let me tell you where breakthrough came for me. Going to the bathroom and flushing the toilet as I saw the pills go down the toilet. But then my wife, as persistent as she is, she says, now let's call the doctor. Why? I flushed the pills down. No, no, no. We're going to call the doctor and tell him you've crossed the line. Do we have to do that? Yeah, we we need to do that. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. So I called the doctor and I said, I... I don't need the pills. I'm healed of this surgery. And that was it. And that was a tough situation. But you see, freedom involves, everyone say, confronting. You're never going to be free until you confront your lie. You can sit in every message. You can come to all the crusades. You can have pastors and preachers and evangelists slap oil on you. You can fall in the spirit all day long. You can get moved and grooved and prophesied and preached to and discipled. But until you have a one-on-one confrontation with what you are in the sight of God, you will not get free. Not happen. Not going to happen. But what we have this thing in the back of well in the sweet by and by when we meet on that beautiful shore. No. Let's stop pretending that in the sweet old by and by. No. Now is the day of salvation. Now. Everyone say now. Man, Pastor Ray, you're really pulling back the veil. Yeah, and the devil hates it. I mean, that, that, that's it. And then, I got to tell you about my porn problem. Because this is what repentance is. Because I would sneak in. I, I wasn't a huge porn app, but I would see an image. And I'd turn it off. But then my wife had the audacity. She actually had the audacity one day. She said, Ray, do you really want to be free from porn? I said, yes, I do. I really. Oh, I had the tears. Oh, I was just repenting. Oh, oh Jesus, set me free in Jesus' name. I'm tired of the slime. I'm tired of this crap. Oh, God, set me free. My wife looked at me and said, you really want to be free? I said, yes, I want to be free. Well, don't, do, you, do you doubt me? I said, she said, yeah, I doubt you. Boy, that's horrible when your wife doubts you. She said this, give me your wallet. Why do you need my wallet? That's, that's my wallet. That's my, that's my money. That belongs to me. She said, then you don't want to be free. Wait wait, 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 wait a minute. What do you you need my wallet for? Because, see, you can go down to the porn shop and rent videos. If you really want to be free, guess what? You got to cut it off at the source. Do you know that to this day, I have no cash in my wallet. And she can trace every dime I spend on my credit card. And guess what? I want it that way. Why? Because I want to be free. You can't be free without accountability. Everyone say accountability. What, Pastor Ray? You're just letting it all hang out today. You bet. Because I am sick and tired of Satan taking advantage of people and people playing this game and singing our nice little victory songs on Sunday. But we continually go around this merry-go-round of defeat because we're not taking the steps to really walk in the Spirit. 
It's a walk. What does the walk involve? A walk involves confronting the sin. A walk involves accountability. A walk involves relationship. A walk involves renewing my mind with the word of God. You may say, well, Pastor Ray, you need to be disqualified. You're not healed yet. You know what? My pa- I told my pastor, you're right. But he said, no, Ray. If God can take a liar like Peter and a coward like Peter and use him 50 days, 50 days, one month and a half from the time he lied to the day of Pentecost is 50 days and use a man like that to turn the city of Jerusalem upside down. God can do it for anybody who's willing to disclose and come clean. Do you know why God gave you a wife? Accountability. Now, my wife is no watchdog. She's not looking over my shoulder. She's not micromanaging. She's my greatest cheerleader. She's my prayer warrior. But I want, I want to be accountable to this woman. Oh, guess what I found out myself doing? Here's how the devil works. Oh, man, he works so good. When I gave her my wallet, guess what I I discovered I had? A piggy bank. And guess what I did? I didn't tell her. I gave her my cash. She knows where all the credit cards go. But I didn't tell her about my piggy bank. It was really filling up fast. Because every time I went to QuickTime, this is several years ago, I made sure that I always tried to get changed so I could put it in my piggy bank. Why? So I could go down and rent a porn once in a while. It's horrible to tell you, but it's the truth. Until she comes into my office and says, what's all this change over in the piggy bank? Oh, it's, it's ice cream money. There I go lying again. Ice cream money, huh? Finally, I said, no, Carol, it's not ice cream money. I'm living a lie. Isn't it amazing how our flesh looks for ways to save itself? Our flesh, man, you think you're really, you really think you've come a long way? Like, I come to the altar. I've sinned, oh God, I've I'm so sorry that I've sinned, oh Jesus, all the else, sir, I surrender all, but not to my wife. Oh no, not her. But I surrender some. <sighs> what does it mean to walk in the spirit? Now, walking in the spirit isn't just being accountable with your money and your lies and your truth and your time, all that. But I also had to renew myself as far as who I am in Christ. I had to come clean with the fact that I'm a new creature in Christ. And I am not what I used to be. And there are people, even to this day, there are people that accuse you, that will put you down, that say, you're not done, you're not healed, you're not ready, and they will accuse and accuse, and they will find anything wrong with you. I'm here to tell you, don't receive it. Don't receive the lie from the enemy. What is Satan called? The accuser of what? He's an accuser. Even Jesus doesn't accuse. Jesus comes to restore people. But at the same time, when we stand behind this sacred desk, I can look at you today and say, I'm free. I can look at you today and say, I'm free. But I'll tell you right now, it was an ugly messy journey. And I'll often ask, I said, Lord, why would you let me in the ministry with this mess? Do you know that 60% of pastors right now in America today are struggling with an ongoing problem just with porn alone? That's not including alcoholism or drug addiction. Pastors. And until we clean up our act up here, There'll be no victory out here.
as a co corporate congregation. You can have victory in spite of the pastor. I, shouldn't, I don't mean it that way. But we're not going to see breakthroughs until the leadership cleans its act up. Are you there with me on this? There needs to be disclosure. There needs to be cleansing. And then there needs to be forgiveness. And there needs to be washing. And within we need to empower people. Let me tell you, you know why I'm telling you this this morning? Let me tell you why. And I'm going to, my last scripture, I want you to jump over with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy. The, the Apostle Paul giving this scripture. And the Lord spoke to me this morning. He says, Ray, I want you to share these things. Because there are people that are wrestling with things that are beyond their own strength. They've been battling things for a year. And he's here to break the yoke in Jesus' name. The Apostle Paul says, verse 12, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus who hath enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, insolent man, and I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. With faith, everyone say with faith. You know what that means? Is that when you didn't believe in you, there was a God who still believed in you. He believes in you. He has faith in you. Because of what he did for you. It's not because of how hard you strive, but he believed in you. And love, which is in Christ, and this is a faithful saying worthy of acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Paul is saying this, of all the sinners around the world, I am the dog worst. I'm the worst of all the sinners. How many of you ever had the devil try to say, you know what? If anybody knew about you, they'd write you off. Can I tell you that if anybody actually knew about you, they'd actually get set free. Have you ever turned something around where the devil intended to say, if people knew about you, they'd run out of the church? Maybe you ought to turn it this way. Yeah, but maybe if people did know about me, they'd see the grace of God and his mercy and want to come to Christ. Turn it around and then ram it down Satan's throat. Ram it. Do you know your weakness was intended to be your weapon? It was not intended to be something you run from and hide. The church is full of pretenders and hiders. They're playing hide and seek. They want to come out for, how are you doing today? I'm just doing fine. We just had such a great barbecue the other day. Things are just going good for me. And oh, praise God, our soccer practice went so well. While we're living in sin, while our marriages are falling apart, while hell's attacking us from every angle, while our kids are into porn, and we're not dealing with the real issues. Whoa! I don't know about you, but I am done playing church. I'm so done. And I know I've put myself out there just to let you know where Ray failed. I'm not a, I am totally ashamed of my own self. I never thought, I never thought it was capable of that kind of going that low. But I was. But I go on to verse 16. It's faithful and worthy of acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the chief. He didn't say, I'm the best of saints. He says, I'm the worst. I'm the chief. Howbeit, for this reason, everyone say, This reason. This reason. This is the reason why Paul was a late bloomer. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. For this reason, I obtain mercy. That in me, first Jesus might show all long suffering. Do you know part of God's love is this? Why have you walked through what you went through? Why did you fail? It's so God could use you to show the world that he is so patient and he's willing to wait for the grace to transform your mind. He's willing to wait until you get it. However long it takes, he's willing 
to wait. He hasn't thrown in the towel on you. He says, I'm willing to wait all long, long suffering. He's a father whose love suffers long. I'm willing to wait on that guy or that gal whose others have thrown away in the trash. I'm, I'm willing to wait on them because they've gone so deep, but I'm able to raise them up high for a testimony of what I can do in the worst of the worst. You see, folks, if we can't be real here, we have no power out there. Because they are tired of us singing our songs and preaching our little points and our little poems and going through our cliches when there is no reality of the love and the life of God where they can come in and say, you know what, I'm gay. Will you love me? I'm a thief. I'm a murderer. I'm cheating on my wife. I'm cheating on my job. I've robbed. I've embezzled money. Can I find any kind of help here? I beat my wife. I cheated on my husband. See, the the world is so sick of us putting on this little mask and we're not real because we want to appear strong. I live in a nice house and I drive a nice car because I give my money all the time and I go to church and I'm on the praise and worship team and I prophesy. I lay hands on people and they get healed because I prayed for them. Look at all my disciples that I'm disciple. Look at me. Look, 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 look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Man, the world, I don't know about it. I'm sick of that. Get real. You know, I went out with a man by the name of Moses. In fact, I want to have him come and preach at our church. He doesn't even belong in our stream, but he's an African-American guy. He does rap music. We were just having a great conversation down here. By the way, an amazing Mexican restaurant, OMG, behind Applebee's. You've got to go there. That's just a plug for that restaurant. But him and I, Moses and I, are sitting across the table, and we're just talking about reaching our young people. He says, you know, Pastor Ray, so many churches are just going through their services and just having their meetings and their little choirs and their quintets and quartets and having their... No one is being real about where they're at. That's why it doesn't connect with this generation. You know, three things that this generation wants. They want reality. They want relationship. They want authenticity. And they need to know that when they open up to you about their problems, they can find an environment where they're safe without being put out. Are you hearing me? Let me tell you right now, the anointing is on me so thick. Just so amazing. I just sense this anointing on me. God is going to bring a revival, a breakthrough to this church, to you as a couple. And some of you have been sitting on your own testimony ashamed. And I break that curse off of you. God's going to release your testimony to be able to share your testimony. And it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be what you expect, but it's going to be for the glory of God. Some of you have been living under shame. What if, what if, what if, what if people find out? Well, here's what Paul says. For this reason, I obtain mercy. That in me, first Jesus, first Jesus, first, first Jesus might show all long suffering as a pattern, a blueprint to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Every one of you have a testimony. Don't be ashamed of your testimony. I went to a man this week. I'm right now, the Lord spoke to me. I told David this. I'm getting out of my office. I study a lot. I love to study and read, pray, maintenance, administration, things around the church. But the Lord said, go out. I'm now going down 
streets. I'm knocking on doors. My wife knows this. I'm knocking on doors, and I'm just asking people, can I pray with you? Some people say, nope. Can I pray with you the next door? What denomination? I said, I don't care what denomination. It, that doesn't, I, I, just, I just feel God wants to just bring his favor and love to this house. This past week, I had one man who was an Air Force vet. <clears throat> his name was William. He was on our street. <clears throat> he, I just came and I said, I'd just love to hear, William, about you, your testimony. And he asked me this question. He says, why are you interested? Are you tr- is, is, what's the catch? Are you trying to get me to come to your church? I said, no. In fact, I didn't even introduce myself as Pastor Ray. By the way, that just throws red flags up with a lot of people right there when you tell them you're a pastor. I just said, I'm Ray Galligan. I'm a neighbor down here. We'd just love to pray with you. He says, why why are you here? He says, my own kids don't even visit me. I said, I'm just here to just love to hear your testimony, hear, hear what you've done. He's an Air Force retired World War II guy that was, he, he was part of the canine unit. He worked as a, in, in security, he, he had a dog, and he, he, he was part of security in the Air Force. <clears throat> and just, just hearing it, then he took me out in the backyard, and he began to show me his garden. Man, John, you would love this guy's garden. I, I, I didn't know anything could grow in Texas, that this guy made it grow. I mean, the, but, but he, he had this amazing garden growing, and he said, you know, I've been so alone. And so I said, William, you know, in fact, he came to our barbecue a year ago, didn't he? Is that right, Carol? He came to our barbecue, and I didn't get a chance at that time to talk to him, but, but just showing interest, breaking into his culture, letting him know how special and important he is. And when I went, I said, can I just say a little prayer with you? And he said, sure, sure love you to pray. And I just said, Father, thank you for William. Thank you for this amazing veteran who's laid down his life, who served our country. Lord, I just pray that your presence fill this home. Your goodness would fill his life. Your favor would just overshadow him. And he said, thank you. And then he asked this when I left. He says, can you come back and see me again? I said, I'd love to. You know, we've got to get out of the habit of thinking that when we talk to people that we should demand instant results. Now, sometimes we get upset because we don't see instant salvation. They don't come to church next Sunday. They don't get healing. And sometimes people just, because how many of you know we live in a society where no one trusts anybody? We're in a divisive, angry, we are a ticking time bomb in this nation. And what Christians need to do is slow down and relax and listen. Just just listen. Take time. You don't have to see the heavens open. You don't need to see the dead raised. You don't need to see people jump out of this and that. Just being there. Like when we went to Legend Oaks, just ministering. Remember one Sweet lady, when she saw our children, she was weeping. She said, I used to teach the children. When she saw our kids last week at Legend Oaks, she was so moved and so touched just to see those children come. You know, folks, we have a hurting society, but they're looking for reality. They're looking for people who will take the mask off and be real. Amen? Let's bow our heads, shall we? I believe God wants to bring us into new levels of his goodness and mercy. But he wants there to be genuine authenticity and genuine reality. He wants us to know there's nothing we've done that his blood and his love cannot cover and heal and restore us. You can be really free. You can be really free. 
Jesus come to set the captive free. Come to open the doors, the prison doors. He come to set at liberty them that are bruised, the opening the eyes of the blind, to preach the acceptable year of Jubilee. Maybe this morning you're saying, you know, Pastor Ray, there are some skeletons in my closet. There's some things that I need to get out. I know the Lord has put his finger on this morning. He wants me to be free. I want to be free, whatever it takes. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. You put it down. I see your hands. I see your hands all over the place. I see your hands. I see your hands. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> the Lord wants to do a work of his grace. Can you open your eyes for a minute? Look at me just for a minute. I just have a word. I don't know who you are, but I just guess. The word joy. The Bible says, He hath turned my mourning into joy. And He really has ordered your steps. God's ordering your steps. And it's a season where He wants to bring you into rest. Can I just say one thing for you? The war is over. The war is over. And just... He's a God who fights our battles. And you know what? There's such a hunger. There's such a a drive. there's There's a sincere heart in you for the Lord. Lord, I just want to be led beside the brook of still waters. I want to find that place. I'm not saying necessarily a church, but I feel that you're just searching for the Lord, just a deep heart longing. You love the Lord. You've known God for a time. And I also sense the Lord seeking to restore a broken relationship, some things that are beyond your control. But it's not out of his control. Your prayers make a difference. Amen. He loves you, Carol. He loves you so much. Just enter into rest. He cares about you. Don't we serve an amazing God? He really cares about us. He searches the heart. He knows the intents and the thoughts before we even bring it to our attention. Can we stand to our feet? Thank you, Lord. God is good. Amen. I want to say one thing, too. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is what is set before us that helps us to endure the cross. The joy set before him. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. I also want to say something here. This African-American brother behind Randy, I just want to say favor is all over you. And I, I, I want to say something. I, I, and this is what I'm saying. I really sense just a favor in employment. The Lord wanting to do something in the area of your Is this your wife next to you? I just sense favor coming to you to bring you to a new level of uh, in the status of your employment and even finances Amen. You're a, you're a man of the head. You, you're a thinker. And uh, you, uh, you, you're a very intelligent man. And God's reaching after your heart. And he's been searching, longing to connect with you and just doing an amazing work in your life. I just sense that in the area of your finances and employment. And uh, I want to say this. We've got to learn to forgive ourselves. We've got to learn to let go of things that we cannot control. Just, it's a day to move forward. You're not going to go back anymore. You're moving forward in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for the love of this couple. Bless them abundantly above. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. One, one quick word. Hebrews 11.5 says, For with God nothing is impossible. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God has such an amazing reward. There's a tsunami coming your way. And just receive it, believe it, confess it, give thanks for what you have not seen yet. Faith is the substance of those things not seen. The evidence of those things hope for us. So just believe and walk in faith in that. Amen. Let's lift our hands, shall we? <clears throat> Father, we receive and we, we, we believe. Lord, we thank you that you've come to cleanse and wash and set us free. We are not the same. We're going from glory to glory. And we give you the highest praise. And everyone said, now turn to your neighbor and say, you are more than a conqueror in Christ. Bless you in Jesus' name. Don't forget our VBS meeting with John Stanson down in front here. VBS for those who can stay for VBS. Thank you.